Hello, welcome to Cubs PS Plus, a Northside numbers game, a weekly podcast that dives headfirst into the analysis of hot topics driving Chicago Cubs baseball. I'm your host, Mike Waller, a lifelong Cub fan, full-time baseball stat nerd, and sometime youth baseball coach. Cubs PS Plus is now part of Bleacher Bunch Productions, joining great shows like The Sun Ranto Show and Cup of Cubby Blue. This will be the last episode that I cross-post to my old podcast feed and the Bleacher Bunch feed. After this episode, Cubs PS Plus will be available exclusively through the Bleacher Bunch podcast feed, which can be found wherever it is you get your podcasts, and my Patreon feed at cubspsplus.patreon.com, where you can support the show and always find ad-free episodes, along with other benefits starting for as little as $1 per month. In addition to the podcast feeds, you can also find me on Twitter, X, Instagram, TikTok, Threads, Blue Sky, and YouTube, all at Cubs PS Plus. A spin on the baseball metric, OPS+. Love the pod or hate it? Drop a review wherever it is you find your podcasts. If you've done that, thank you so much. Maybe you can share an episode with a friend. Welcome into episode 64, a hats to the left episode in honor of the great Pedro Strope, who pitched in two games with the Cubs in 2021 wearing number 64. Strope was one of the best Cub relievers ever and is one of my favorites for sure. We've talked about Shohei Otani and what the Dodgers are doing. We've talked about what the Cubs aren't doing. We've talked about what the Cubs might look like if they actually do nothing. Here we are, stuck in Groundhog Day, waiting for news of the first big move. Why is the baseball offseason the way it is? Why don't things move faster? This week I dig into those questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here. We. Go. So hey, our national nightmare might be over. The Cubs actually made a move yesterday. The Cubs claimed catcher Brian Servan off waivers from the Colorado Rockies, and that's the first major league level move the Cubs have made this offseason. Yeah, a backup catcher. The Cubs have been stocking up on backup catchers, so maybe that's the new money ball. I don't know. See how many uh, depth catchers you can have in the system. On the whole, it's fine. Um, you always need catcher depth. A couple of years ago, the Cubs were grabbing guys off waivers halfway through the season because everybody got hurt. So I have no issue with this. Obviously, fans are going crazy right now because for fans, unless you're a Dodgers fan, this offseason kind of sucks. We came in with all the hype about Otani and Yamamoto and potential trades for Glass now, and the Cubs, along with other teams, were tied into all these rumors. You know, maybe the Cubs were going to get one of those guys. Maybe they weren't. I think the Cubs been over this again and again and again. I think it's pretty obvious the Cubs were in to an extent on Otani. It's also very clear that Otani wanted to go to LA and as long as the Dodgers came through with a good offer which obviously they did he was going to be a Dodger and that's fine and then Yamamoto signs but you know I took a break for the holidays everybody's getting the crud traveled a little bit with family was sick a little bit coming off the backside now I'm feeling pretty good and there was just nothing to talk about a couple times I was going to get on a record and was like why what am I going to say um I'm already impressed that you guys listen to me. Thank you so much. But uh, (laughs) I don't want to waste your time talking about stuff that doesn't even exist. In my last episode, I talked through what happens if the Cubs do nothing. And here we are still in the same spot, you know, two plus weeks later. I think, as I laid out there, I do think the Cubs are a 500 or slightly above team if they actually do nothing. Um, There's potential upside from there if some of the kids hit. There's obviously downside if the kids don't hit and they have injuries and whatnot. But... I also still think the Cubs are going to make some moves. But let's take a step back and talk not so much about the Cubs. And let's talk about baseball. You know, fans have been clamoring for more pace, more speed. Like, let's get this stuff done in the offseason. 
and I get it. Like, we're all excited. We want to see what the team's going to look like next year. For those of us involved in content creation, you know, I want to start speculating about what the team's going to be next year. Start looking at the schedule. Like, how do things line up? How good can I, do I think the Cubs can be? I don't know at this point who the Cubs are. And I think a number of other teams can probably say the same thing. I see some of the things posted about who currently has the, you know, ranking the starting rotations or ranking the starting infields or ranking the bullpens. I don't know what the Cubs starting rotation is even going to be now. Um, I still think the Cubs have needs in that space. But so, so why is baseball's free agency pace, the offseason acquisition of players, so much different than the other sports? And I think a lot of it is history. A lot of it is, but a big, big part of it is structure of the game. So in the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, Revenues are primarily gathered by the league. So the league has the TV contracts. Um, the league has a lot of the sponsorship contracts and all that kind of thing. All the, all those things that feed into TV revenue, the league owns it. So the league brings in all the money. The league distributes all the revenue sharing. And so all the teams, that's why you get leagues with salary caps. All the teams have pretty much more or less the same amount of money to spend. It doesn't matter if you're Green Bay playing in the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin on frozen turf, or you're in LA or New York or Dallas. They all have the same cap to work in. So it becomes a matter of how efficiently do you spend your dollars? You know, both systems have pluses and minuses. Like a, a cap system is not perfect. Um, we see it today with Kansas City. Kansas City has been a really, really good team, the Chiefs and the NFL. But they've had to lose players over the last couple of years because a lot of their talent was young and is getting more expensive. And they have to stay within that cap. So guys like Tyreek Hill move on and go somewhere else. But in terms of the offseason and how that goes, because you know exactly what you have to spend. Now, teams may or may not decide to spend it all. Like some teams have more space under the cap than others. Some teams get more creative with restructuring contracts than other teams do. But every team has that set amount of money to spend. So you have to go get guys. And then in the NBA, they add the, um, <clears throat> you know, the idea of the max contract. So if you're a max contract player, it's pretty much predetermined what you're going to make. So there's no need for like a Scott Boris level type negotiation where you're going to hold and see how much money you can get. How can I get $700 million in the contract? Not that that was a Scott Boris case, but Shohei Otani. If you're a max contract guy, you're a max contract guy. So if you're, if you're a player that's going to have five teams after you, you just have to pick your place. And so there's not necessarily a ton of negotiation. That's where we start to see now players saying, hey, I want to play with these other players. So maybe the delay there is a little bit of time for um, players to recruit, see who all they can pull on in, into one team. Baseball doesn't work that way. So baseball, every team has their own revenue stream. The Cubs are a big market team because they're in Chicago. They've got big media deals. They have their own network. Um, that's like the Yankees with the Yes Network. And you know the Dodgers are a huge market in LA and they've got a ton of revenue streams. But not every team has that. The Minnesota Twins are not the same market size. The Milwaukee Brewers are not the same market size. Um, some teams act like a small market, but they're really not. I've never understood the idea that Houston at any point could be a small market team. It's Houston. It's like the fourth biggest media market in the world, in the country. And I get that all of these teams are owned by billionaires or, or big ownership groups. Yeah. But I also understand the idea that every business, no matter who you are, 
you know, the Dodgers, as much as they're spending this season, they have a budget. It's a bigger budget than most teams, and they've decided to spend a lot of money. And they've also decided to kick the can on a bunch of money down the road in deferments. So they're going to have to account for the fact that, you know, when Otani ends that 10-year contract, they still owe him $680 million. And that they owe Mookie Betts $115 million after his contract's up. <clears throat> it's a good deal for all the reasons we've talked about. Um, it can be a good deal for the player because they get money for the rest of their lives. It can be good for the team because it frees up cash in the short term. Um, it can be good for the player in the short term because that allows the team to pile up more talent. But it's just a fundamentally different system. And so when teams, when there's no salary cap, and we'll sort of throw that out loosely, I know the baseball has the competitive balance tax or commonly referred to as a luxury tax. That CBT threshold, too many owners do more or less treat it like a cap. They shouldn't. And, you know, it's, it's all a choice. Um, but this year, that level is going to be $237 million. Right now, the Cubs are $51 million under that. But then teams have choices. You can go over the first cap or the first hit. And the after that, there's a tax on every dollar you spend above that threshold. So it's a fairly small, it's a fairly small cost, frankly. Then you move up another $20 million to $257 million, and that's the second tier. And there's some surcharges and additional tax that goes on there. But it's still, you know, it's a choice. It is more money that you kick into the league because you've chosen to go carry a higher payroll. That's fine. And then the third tier that comes with additional surcharges, penalties, and, and taxes and whatnot. And that also comes with a 10-spot fallback in your draft order. So like the Yankees and the Mets were over the third threshold last year. They're both sitting over it right now. And again, it's a choice. They've decided to spend the money. Um, interestingly, in the case of both teams, neither one made the playoffs last year. Um, you do hurt yourself a little bit going forward because you lose, you know, spots in the draft order. So in theory, that knocks down your ability to get. It makes it harder for you to draft higher quality players. Obviously, if you have the, you know, fifteenth pick in the draft, you're theoretically going to get a better pick than better player than if you're drafting twenty fifth. Now, a lot of that comes into how's your scouting department, how well do you develop players? Like this isn't the NFL or the NBA where. A first round draft pick is expected to be, you know, a starter in the at the highest level, you know, all star level player the next year. That's just not how baseball works. So it's a fundamentally different system. But because teams have their own revenue streams, teams make their own choices on budget. And that's why you get the Mets spending over three hundred million dollars and you get, you know, teams like the A's and the Orioles recently and some of these other teams spending, you know, well under $100,000 on their payroll for the year. And I go back and forth on how I feel about that. I I think too many teams don't try hard enough. I think there every year there are some teams that bring in more money and revenue sharing from the league than they actually spend on their own payroll. I don't think that should be allowed. I do get that money's fungible and they've got other, you know, you can put it into coaching and development and analytics and baseball science and some of the other things. And that maybe is still valid, but it, you know, you're a small market team. The whole point is to give you money to compete. And if you're not putting that on the field, I kind of, I have a problem with it, but that fundamentally means that there's no cap. There's no, every team doesn't have X amount of money to spend. There's no max contract in baseball. 
So if you're a top end player, you might just, you know, Aaron Nola probably could have gotten more money than he got from Philadelphia, but he's obviously happy in Philly, likes being with the team. He did get a monster contract, so I'm not going to, you know, talk that down, but he signed pretty quickly. He clearly wanted to be in Philly. So you get some of those, but then you also get, you know, and Scott Boris is an agent that's notorious for this. And, and if you look around at the top, um, you know, the top lists of free agents that have not signed, you know, we've got a number of guys. Um, sorry, I got my list here. Um, no, I'm missing anybody. You know, Cody Bellinger, Jordan Montgomery, Blake Snell, Matt Chapman. J.D. Martinez, Reese Hoskins, those are all Scott Boris clients. And Scott is, you know, if I'm a player, Scott's the agent I want. He gets his guys paid. Not necessarily in every single case, but typically they get something that they're looking for. And it's, from that player's perspective, it's great, right? Like you hire that agent to represent you to get you the best deal and Scott Boris does that time and time and time again. But he does that by often holding up the market. You know, a couple of years ago, I think it was 2019, Bryce Harper and Manny Machado didn't sign until I think spring training had started. You know, he will hold until they get their get the money. Now, the agent does work for the player. So if Cody Bellinger or Blake Snell or Jordan Montgomery wanted to be signed tomorrow and they had an offer on the table that was good enough, it's not Scott Boris holding a gun to their head, you know, telling them, telling them not to take it. But when you go with Scott Boris, you kind of know what the game is. And right now the market's not moving that direction. And so he's holding And those are some of the top guys. And those are some of the top guys that the Cubs have been rumored as tied to. And if you look at what the Cubs need, most of those guys fit in need that the Cubs have. And so that's kind of why things are held up. And that's why, as frustrating as it is that the Cubs have not signed a free agent yet, um, those guys are still in the market. Like, If those guys were gone and Jed wasn't doing anything, um, I'd probably be buying more into the whole hibernation Hoyer thing. Um, come on, Jed, wake up and do something. But that's, that's the game. That's the game with Scott Boris. And because there's that extra negotiating space, there's no cap, there's no max contract, they can just wait and push and, and you know, it's, it's kind of a game of chicken both ways. There's no guarantee that Scott Boris and Cody Bellinger or Blake Snell or Jordan Montgomery are going to get the number they're looking for. In fact, the longer this goes, some teams who were rumored to be tied in with those players have made some other additions, you know, San Francisco, you know, traded for Robbie Ray yesterday. So does that mean that they, or maybe not as in on Shota Imanaga or Blake Snell or Jordan Montgomery as maybe they would have been rumored to be a week or so ago. <clears throat> they signed a Korean outfielder Lee. Um, so does that mean maybe they're out on Cody Bellinger when they were rumored to be in on him before? So some of these teams are kind of drying up, you know, like I think the Dodgers are probably out on most of those guys at this point because they've, they've gotten what they need. I think Toronto's kind of in play probably for maybe for Bellinger, but with some of the additions they've made, I think they might be out on Cody Bellinger too. You know, the Yankees were a team that was, you know, tied to Cody Bellinger a lot, but then they traded for Juan Soto and they traded for Alex Verdugo. So 
while I'm sure they could probably have a spot for Cody Bellinger, they're already sitting over the third tier of the CBT and they seem to have their positions filled. So, yeah, they're probably more in the market for a starting pitcher. So maybe they're competition for Jordan Montgomery or Blake Snell, maybe Imanaga. Um, but because of that extra negotiation space, we wait. And it's not fun for fans. CubsCon is coming up next weekend. And that's a time when I'm sure Jed would prefer to have his offseason mostly done, have a couple, you know, big signees that he's brought in or guys he's traded for and be able to showcase them at CubsCon and have the fans be happy and get everybody revved up and excited for spring training. We'll see what happens. I mean, the, the one guy that definitely will have a decision made before Cubs convention is Shota Imanaga for, posting from Japan. When you post, you have 45 days to come to an offer or to come to terms on an offer. If you don't come to agreement on a contract within those 45 days, then he goes back to Japan and he can post again next year. I think the numbers he's going to get are probably good enough that I think he'll sign, but his 45 day period is up on Thursday. Um, so we'll see where that goes. I have a feeling he'll sign somewhere. The Cubs are rumored to be in the mix, the giants, the angels, um, Boston are all, those seem to be the, the, his top four teams. We'll see. As we saw with Otani in Yamamoto, you just can't you can't tell what's going on with these negotiations. Some guys have a reputation for being kind of a mouthpiece of the agent, so they'll, they'll leak whatever the agent's office give, gives them, and the agents are leaking information selectively on purpose to try to move the market. So it's, it's all just a big mess. Um, and guys will sign when they sign. But when you look at the the way things are going. So he'll have a decision made. He'll either sign somewhere or be back to Japan. Otherwise we wait, you know, Cody Bellinger might not sign till spring till into spring training. Same with Blake Snell, Jordan Montgomery. They could also sign, you know, the, in the next five minutes where I just look really dumb in this podcast after I publish it. So what could baseball do? There's not a lot they can do. I think, I've seen a lot of talk about, you know, let's put a, a clock on this. Let's define a free agency period that maybe begins in, um, one thing I heard on the Sun Ranto show was, is, you know, open something up like December 15th and run it through the end of January. Um, wh- wherever you set those, you know, ar- arbitrary deadlines, if you lock in a time period when teams don't have really set budgets, there's no set pool that everybody's coming. I mean, Teams have a set budget, but there's no like league set budget, like a salary cap. And there's no max contract and guys can negotiate. We've seen over the years, like ownership has taken full advantage of the players at every opportunity when they can. For decades and decades and decades, players had no ability to choose where they wanted to go. They had to accept whatever offer the team gave them, try to negotiate or not play. Those were the options. It's gotten better since Kurt Flood, you know, challenged and and led to players free agency. But even then through the 80s, there was proven collusion among the owners to not pay free agents and not go after other teams players Um, to the point where legendarily Andre Dawson, when he wanted to get out of Montreal, get off that nasty, horrific concrete AstroTurf they had up there. He came to the Cubs and said, just pay me whatever you want to pay me and I want to be a Cub. So the Cubs got him. He hit 49 home runs and won the MVP for $500,000. 
which I, that was 1987. That was a long time ago, but that was still not star, not even close to star money in 1987. And he wound up making money with the Cubs, whatever. But if you set up a situation where ownership has some ability to manipulate things, we've seen it with service time. We saw it with the Cubs, you know, the Chris Bryant wasn't ready for the major leagues until he magically hit the day where the Cubs kept the extra year service time. And I think maybe they would have waited a little bit longer to make it look a little bit better, except that, uh, you know, they, they had an injury and then needed Chris Bryant to come up, but teams are going to do that. If, if you put an arbitrary deadline on it, it does put pressure on both sides, but it also it puts more pressure on the player than the, than the team for the most part. And I think if you tried to put in a defined period, you know, it would have to be kind of a double set anyway. You have your free agency period and then it stops and then there would be no more signings until, I don't know, maybe some point after the season starts. I don't think the Players Association would go for it because you start getting down to that you know, last minute and teams are going to sit on their cash and sit on their cash and hold negotiations to the end. And in a few cases, I'm not worried about the stars, you know, Shohei Otani in any situation, any scenario is going to get his money. Max Scherzer is going to get paid. Carlos Correa, well, aside from the whole knee thing, is going to get paid. You know, those those top elite free agents want Soto next year. It doesn't matter if you have a two-day free agency window or a three-month free agency window or no window. He is going to get his money and he is going to be probably one of the first to sign because there's going to be so much competition for his services. It's that middle tier player. It's the lower end player. That those are the guys that probably get hosed in that situation because you get to the end, and you got to find a team. You, these guys, that's what they do. They love to play. They want to have a career. They want to grow their career. That's how they make their money. They're gonna have to take an offer. And if you set that arbitrary deadline, teams can wait and teams can slow play and do all the things. And in a few cases, you'll get some negotiation. Maybe it works out better for the player. But I think on the whole, it would not work out great for the player. So I just don't know there's much we can do. I think we just have to acknowledge that every offseason is its own thing. you know. And I went back and looked um, at the Cubs you know, since Jed took over. And, of course, a lot of weird things go into play there. Um, so he was named president of baseball operations in early November after the 2020 season. So we're in the COVID era. We don't know what the fan situation is going to be for 2021. That's the unfortunate time where Tom Ricketts talked about biblical losses and all the things. So I wanted to see if there was kind of a a trend, you know, does Jed typically slow play this as a matter of habit? Is that his, is that his thing? I think I know what his plan is for this year and we'll get into that in a minute. But when I look at, you know, after the 2020 season, the first, Player, the first big moves he made in December, they non-tendered four guys. And there was a few of those, but that one, that year included Ryan Tapera, Albert Almora, and, and the big one, Kyle Schwarber. And that was a waiver claim for a bench guy, and then there was the U Darvish trade. And that came, I think, directly out of COVID. It came directly out of stuff I've talked about where the, you know, the, the Cubs just never effectively dealt with their young core and what those guys were starting to make in arbitration. So the Cubs, I've talked about it quite a few times, the Cubs kept increasing the cost of 
Chris Bryant and Javi Baez and Kyle Schwarber and Albert Almora and Addison Russell for a while and Wilson Contreras eventually. And, you know, those guys were getting more and more expensive as they progressed through their arbitration years. And the Cubs never picked one or two to extend and kind of set that base price. Like you can, like the Cubs did this, this year with Happ and Horner. With Horner, they bought out his arbitration years, tacked on one at the end, and established a set price. So now the Cubs are not going through arbitration looking at annual raises for Nico Horner that's baked in. He is going to make more in these early years than he probably would have um, during arbitration. On the backside, he'll make a little bit less probably. Um, so the Cub, it's a good deal for the Cubs, good deal for Nico. Locks in money, still gives him a chance to hit for agency at a pretty young age. And similarly with Hap. Now, Hap was, would have been a free agent this offseason, so that's a little bit different. The Cubs weren't buying out arbitration years, but they were able to take a guy who wanted to stay in Chicago, popular among fans, and, and lock him in for you know now three more years. But the Cubs never did that before, so they kept increasing there. So that led to things are getting more expensive. Then you factor in COVID in 2020, and the revenues are all shot. I know Ricketts had a bunch of loans due for renovation work on the stadium and stuff being done around Wrigleyville. So that was kind of a disaster. That that was kind of the one that really got the rebuild started. At the time, I think, I think we, I know I sort of thought the Cubs had a chance to compete in 2021. You know, running it back one more time, even though, you know, as, as Theo had said, the offense was broken and all those other things. There was a chance if Chris Bryant gets back and stays healthy and Anthony Rizzo is Anthony Rizzo and, you know, Javi gets back to his close to MVP form. And, you know, there was a chance that team could compete. Didn't come to pass. But that season, so after the U Darvish trade, the Cubs made a couple minor league free agent signings in January and then a bunch of signings in February. Now that's a year where I think the, Market was a little bit later. That was definitely, it was it was before the, the lockout. And it was a, a year where a lot of that stuff happened later. So once they hit February, they wound up signing eight guys, including Jock Peterson, Andrew Chafin, Trevor Williams, Jake Arrieta, et cetera, et cetera. Made another waiver claim. A couple more free agent signings in March. And then that was their team. So that year was a little bit later. You know, after the 2021 season, again, you know, so we hit, Jed had to deal with the COVID and then we're heading into the, the work stoppage, the, you know, CBA negotiations and everybody kind of expected there to be a work stoppage and there was. So that year was either get stuff done early or get stuff done late. And that year the Cubs claimed Wade Miley off waivers from the Reds right after the season was over. They traded for Harold Ramirez Ramirez in November and December. They signed three guys. They picked up, you know, uh, Marcus Stroman, John Gomes and Clint Fla- Clint Frazier before the work stoppage. And then everything stopped. So there were no moves in January, no moves in February. And then in March, once everybody was back and, you know, things could resume again, they made the rest of their free agent signings. They traded Harold Ramirez away for Esteban Kiros and got the season going. And then last year was a little bit different. Last year moved faster than a lot of the other seasons. The, there was a lot of action at winter meetings. There were a couple guys signed before winter meetings. And then last year, you know, in November, the Cubs made the trade for Miles Mastroboni, kind of as them and as the Cubs in Tampa Bay were dealing with, you know, the, the 40 man roster situation. Mastroboni was expendable for the Rays and the Cubs had some young depth arms and traded one of those for 
Um, you know, they traded Zarago over to the Rays from Ma- Mastroboni and made a waiver claim. And then in December, they got some the bulk of their free agency done. You know, they p- picked up. That's when they signed Jamison Tyone and picked up Dansby Swanson and you know a number of other guys. And then after the first of the year, there were still a couple more. You know, January that was when they oh so wisely signed uh, Eric Hosmer and Trey Mancini. They picked up Fulmer and another one in February, but that one, you know, the bulk of the bulk of the offseason moves were done in December. So, you know, by the time we got to Christmas, we had some bright, shiny things sitting under the tree. And then when Cubs Con rolled around in early January or mid January, you know, there were new faces to introduce and some excitement and, and all that. Um, this year it's slower. This year, you know, the the Cubs got. Jed, uh, Jed signed Craig Council under cover of darkness from the as he was leaving the Brewers, and I think we all have some idea what the Cubs need. I think it's pretty, some of it's pretty clear. Like you look back at the look at the starters in every position. Say Suzuki's back, Ian Happ's back, Nico Horner's back, Dansby Swanson's back. A few starters in the rotation are back. Some bullpen arms are back. Um, Miguel Amaya and Jan Gomes are back behind the plate. So if they're going to add guys, you know, you lose Marcus Stroman, you lose Cody Bellinger. There's There are questions in center field, first base, third base. Hopefully the Cubs add a starter, add some bullpen help. And that's kind of where it is. That's where the Cubs are looking. And I think I think Jed has a plan. I mean, for all the talk about Jed's asleep, Jed's not doing anything, I think Jed is very much doing things. I think Jed is very much negotiating with Scott Boris on a number of fronts. I think he's looking at a number of options. Um, <clears throat> Tommy Hadovy was on 670, the score this week, and he was asked about what his wish list would be for the offseason, and he laid it out. Like, I think we're all talking about it. I think some of us would not mind seeing the Cubs sign two starting pitchers, but I think the general consensus is they need at least one mid-level or higher starting pitcher, and they need a couple bullpen arms that you know can be trusted late games. It doesn't have to be... Josh Hader doesn't have to be a lockdown closer. They have a couple guys who are already pretty effective in the back end of the pen, but they need a couple more guys you can mix in, you know, in leverage situations. And that's all still in play. And what's wild is all those moves, you know, I keep saying the same thing every week because nothing ever changes. You know, not only are the Cubs not doing anything, but a lot of other teams aren't doing much either. There are have been a lot of guys signed and off the board, but I don't think those most of those guys were other than maybe Yamamoto, Otani, a trade for Glass. Now, most of those guys are not people that you know, were really rumored or heavily tied to the Cubs. I think in the starting pitcher market, I think Shota Imanaga has been a target. I think Jordan Montgomery and maybe to a lesser extent Blake Snell. I know Blake Snell just won the Cy Young. He's won two of them. He's a really good pitcher. He's probably the lowest of the three on my list, just because of the number of guys he walks. He walks a lot of people. And with this staff, you know, not having a ton of K, not having a ton of whiff, um, I just don't think he's a great fit. I mean, he'd be fine. You know, he certainly is. He would make the rotation better than it stands today, without question. Um, I'm kind of torn between, I really like Imanaga. Even though he doesn't throw hard, he does generate a lot of whiff. I think there are a lot of comps to Kodai Senga. Um, he may have some adjustment period when he first comes over, but I think the stuff is going to play. He's 30. So while, you know, he's not a guy that's going to, not like Yamamoto going to sign a 12-year contract, 
he's 30 um, in Japan. They te- they have play shorter seasons. They also tend to work off a of six man rotation. So his arm doesn't have the wear and tear that a player here in the States who's been had an equivalent career as a starting pitcher in the States would have, you know, starting every fifth day and playing a longer season. Um, I think he's got plenty left in the tank. I think, you know, you sign him to a five-year contract with any free agent, you know, you're looking at whatever length you sign them to, you're signing them. You're really paying for the first like two thirds of that deal. Hopefully the guy contributes for the entire deal. You know, John Lester famously pretty much did. He was pretty much good to the end. Um, but you're getting them for those upfront years. You know, the, the Dodgers didn't sign Shohei Otani to a 10 year deal at his age because they think he's going to be the best player in baseball when he's 38. No, they're paying what they have to pay to get him now, get him for the next six years when he's at the peak of the game and continues to be, you know, all the tungsten armor Doyle things, right? So if the Cubs get him in Aga, rumors are, you know, Cardi Senga signed last year for I think it was five five years, $85 million, some, somewhere right in that ballpark. Um, <clears throat> maybe Imanaga gets that. Maybe Imanaga gets enough competition that he goes up over $100 million. I think that's been kind of holding things out. And again, those numbers come out. We don't know where it's really coming from. Is it coming out from his agent's office where, Hey, you know, we got some stuff for a hundred million dollars and some other teams are maybe starting to think, am I in for that? Or am I not? And kind of cool. It can kind of cool the market. Or maybe there's a team that jumped in at that level, but maybe Imanaga would prefer to play somewhere else. So kind of waiting for things to shake out. Or maybe it's just something made up that somebody just threw out there to throw out there. Um, We don't know. And in August case, we're going to find out soon. We'll, we'll know by Thursday if he signs at all. And then if he does sign, where he signs. So Jed this year, I think he has a plan. I mean, of course he has a plan. You know, Jed is a, you can say a lot of things about Jed Hoyer. He's not stupid. He is not, you know, he does know what he's doing. I think he drives the fans insane because he is very methodical. He's very risk averse. And he does not talk about things much. He doesn't tell you what he's going to do. He, you know, Theo Epstein loved to be out in front of the press and talk and, and he wouldn't lay out all the gory details, but you had a pretty good idea what he was going to do. And you also knew that he was willing to take a shot. You know, he would throw in that extra money sometimes to get a guy, or he would make the sale and, and be willing to go maybe a little bit longer on a guy than some other teams were. Although we also got some guys, you know, for less money to come to Chicago. But, you know, that's one of the big changes since 2016. If it's, 20, you know, the 2014 season, 2015, 26, the offseason ahead of the 2016 season, you could see the Cubs were building. And the Cubs also had not won in 108 years. And so being a part of that one team to break the curse, you know, that's something that Ben Zobris has talked about quite a bit. You know, that's something that was really attractive to a lot of those guys, you know, I can go, I can try to win in LA. I can go try to win in St. Louis. I can go try to win some other places. But at that point, nothing was going to be more special than winning in Chicago. You know, you were suddenly, you're part of a legendary team. You are not going to have to buy a beer in Chicago for the rest of your life. I mean, that's how it goes. And so now that's not the case. Now the Cubs are another team that's won a ring recently. It's been seven years since they've, won a championship. It's been five years since they've won a playoff game. So it's been six years since they've won a playoff game. And 
so some of the specialness is off. So now the Cubs have to compete. They have to compete as a team. And Jed has his plan. So I think Jed is aiming to add a couple bats. I think he wants to add a starting pitcher. I think he wants to add some bullpen arms. I think all the stuff we've talked about, I think, is very much in play. Jed, I think, went in, made some offers on Yamamoto and Otani. Did not work out. And then I think he has his targets on everybody else. How much is he willing to spend on Cody Bellinger? How much is he willing to spend on Jordan Montgomery? And he's not a guy who's going to jump the market. He's going to wait and see if the market comes back to him. I think there are thresholds where he would just be out on a guy. I also think he's going to hold for his number as long as he can. And then I think within a certain range, I think if it's within a certain range, I don't think Jed's going to be outbid. Um, I think like, let's say he's willing to go six years, $180 million for Cody Bellinger. You know, he may be holding out trying to get it six one fifty, and then it finally get to the end stage. Somebody's at five one sixty. I think Jed will be willing to go over that if you know, that's in the budget. Um, so he's waiting to see if the market's going to come back to him. And it's a gamble. I mean, everything's a risk, right? He is fighting against the risk of taking on a bad contract that's going to be an albatross in the future. That's that's a strategy. Um, the other risk is that he holds so tight to his numbers and so tight to his targets that he potentially misses on guys. We'll see. Um and in some cases, like there's you know, like, I would not want the Cubs to pay $700 million for Cody Bellinger. And of course, nobody's going to pay that for Cody Bellinger. So there are points at which it's ridiculous and Jed shouldn't sign him. There are also situations where, yeah, that's a great deal. I'm glad you got him. That's a really good negotiation and you did what you're supposed to do. We'll see. I think everything is holding. I think Jed is waiting to see if the market's coming back to him. And I think in a couple of cases, it might. I think the biggest thing for me is, um, you know, why some of the supplementary extra moves aren't happening. Like I get that, you know, the Boris clients are out there. They're going to hold and wait for the offers to come in, but there's also, they need bullpen arms and there's really no reason why Robert Stevenson or Brent Suter or some of these other guys, like why aren't they signed yet? And again, it's not just Jed, you know, they haven't signed with anybody. So why are some of those bullpen pieces not going? Is it is it the market waiting for Josh Hader to sign somewhere? I, you know, some of those guys aren't closers, so I don't necessarily see that. Um, so it's it is a little frustrating, and I'm I'm probably a little more patient with it than some fans are. Certainly, than a lot of people are on Cubs Twitter. But it's getting to the point where I don't understand why some of the moves aren't happening. I get why, you know, that chunk of guys are still out there, um, and nobody else is making those moves either on those guys. So. You know, it's not just Jed, but it's about time to start moving. So what are the Cubs going to do? I think they have options that I talked about. I think they're a decent team without making a bunch of additions. So I don't think there's reason for Jed to go out there and get desperate and negotiate against himself and all that sort of thing. But, you know, this, this has not been a really a super fun off season. I think we were all hoping to have something really exciting before Cubs convention I am going to go next week. It's going to be my first Cubs con. So, you know, maybe you'll run into me, say hi. Um, hopefully meet up with some people out there. I think it's going to be a good time, but be a lot more fun if they're introducing Shota Imanaga or bringing, announcing that Cody Bellinger's back or, you know, talking about Jordan Montgomery. <clears throat> but we'll see. The, the one thing I will continue to say is there's no clock on this. That's how baseball works. And so there's, 
if Jed ultimately does nothing, there's going to be all kinds of time through spring training in the first part of the season to be mad that he didn't upgrade the roster. Um, and on the flip side, if he does make those moves, if, if we do go into the spring training with Reese Hoskins and Cody Bellinger and you know Montgomery or Imanaga and a couple of really good bullpen arms like Suter or Stevenson or some of the other guys on the market, you know, if they fill those holes and address those needs, awesome. Like you don't get demoted a couple wins because you didn't do it in December. Um, it's just right now, you know, fans want news. Fans want to see action and nothing's happening. Um, so hopefully everybody can find a little something, you know, the NCAA championship game is Monday, Michigan, and Washington. We've got NFL in the last regular season weekend this weekend. Then playoffs are coming. College basketball is in full swing. Go watch Caitlin Clark. I mean, she's putting on a show every every single game. Um, there are other things to watch, but <laughs> baseball's kind of torture right now. So, best advice I can give is be patient and keep refreshing Twitter. Right? Um, it's gonna be what it's gonna be. Hopefully, in a week. Hopefully, the Cubs do something before Cubs convention. Um, I'll probably record something before I go next week. I might do a couple shorts while I'm out there. And then talk about my experience once I come back the following week. I want to get some guests back in here now that we're through the holidays, um, working on some people in the Cubs organization, um, you know, continue to talk about prospects and some of those kinds of things. I want to talk about hitting and developing power. I've got some ideas going. I want to talk about um, pitching. I've got a couple guests that I'm trying to line up there. So I think it's going to be an exciting offseason in the podcast world anyway, I think we're going to have some interesting things to talk about and then get in spring training and then hopefully the Cubs are good. That's all all of us want. We can argue about who they should get or who they shouldn't get or whether Jed's good at his job or bad at his job or whether he's sleeping on the job. Um, we all just want the Cubs to compete. We want the Cubs to compete for the division championship. We want the Cubs to be a factor in the postseason. We want to see them have the chance to go on a deep run. That's what we all want. It's what I want. It's what you want. It's what we're all waiting for. Thank you for joining me today. If you like this episode, please drop a rating and review wherever it is you get your podcasts and share an episode with a friend. Just a few seconds from you gives me great feedback and helps other Cub fans find the show. Going forward, you'll be able to find this podcast as part of Bleacher Bunch Productions under the Bleacher Bunch feed wherever it is you get your podcasts. You can also find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Threads, Blue Sky, and YouTube, all at CubsPS+. And check out the Patreon page at CubsPSPlus.Patreon.com to help support the show, as David Elliott has done. As always, the theme music for this podcast is Prospect Park West by Jerry McCoy. This is Mike Waller, host of the Cubs PS Plus podcast. Every day with Cubs baseball or talking about Cubs baseball is a great day. Go Cubs! <laughs>